Hey, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and get them open. Turn them on. Let's get into the Word. I, uh, I remember being about 18 years old. I was uh, starting college, and uh, we had a guest speaker come to our church named Miles Monroe. Anybody ever heard of Miles Monroe? Miles Monroe. Miles Monroe uh, was preaching on puppets. Puppets. And he spoke out of a passage in Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 21. I remember it to this day. Many are the plans in a man's heart. But it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. I was grappling at the time with wanting to be a successful businessman and going to school to get my degree work done so I could be a wealthy businessman. And I was wrestling between that and the call of God on my life to be a pastor and a minister. And, um, and when Miles Moreau began to preach and to teach, and he quote, quoted that scripture, many of the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that will prevail. Something happened on the inside of me. The word of the Lord came forward, and it shifted what I was struggling with. I knew God wanted to use me in ministry, but I, but I also wanted to be very, very wealthy in business. And I was struggling, and I was back and forth. And when he spoke that word, it came to me as though it was a word from God. Out of the Holy Scriptures, brought forth by a man of God in the congregation of believers. And when it was spoken forth, it shifted everything. I quit college, I went to Bible school, and I'm your pastor today because of that word and that moment that I received. As you look around this room today, there's some amazing people who love God, who are even struggling a little bit with their faith, some of us. But what each and every one of us needs is a word from God. You just need a word. Just a word. One word from God will shift everything that you're struggling with. One word of God will solidify where you're standing. One word from the Lord will make it clear for you and so that you can walk uprightly all your days. Our key scripture is found in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35. Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Father, I pray over the next couple moments that you would begin to drop Onto our hearts and our minds, your Rhema Logos word. That Lord, we would have revelation of the things that we're struggling with, the directions that we need. We ask you to speak, O oh God. For as you speak, O oh God, our lives are transformed forever. Lord, use me in some kind of capacity. Lord, at the same time, I tell you now, Lord, it will not hurt my feelings if men and women in this room begin to get downloads from heaven and never hear one word of what I preach. God, I pray right now in Jesus' name that your people would know you, their God, more than anything else in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. In the New Testament, we see the word word used in two different Greek formats. There are two words in the New Testament, in the Greek version of the New Testament for word. One is logos. And logos pretty much represents the written word, the definitive word of God, the Holy Scriptures. It refers to many times Jesus talking about he's the word. And then there's another word, and that's the word rhema. And um, as a spirit-filled believer, rhema, as I see it in Scripture, actually represents, in my mind, it represents the inspiring of the Holy Spirit in reference to what he desires and what he wants. And so we see that the logos and the rhema are the two words that are operating in the scriptures. What we find many times, depending on your denominational background growing up, you'll see this struggle between, well, the word of God says this. Yes, but the spirit of the Lord, the revelation of God is saying this. And what happens is you see people fighting sometimes between what they call the rhema and the logos. And friend, I would tell you that they're supposed to work together. I would say that whatever prophetic word you've ever received, whatever nudge of the Holy Spirit should always be centered and grounded in the logos of the word of God. And I would say that many charismatic Pentecostal people have lost their mind and done stupid things because it was never rooted and grounded in the logos word of God, the written word of God, the inspired word of God, the solidified word of God, and they get off into these crazy things. But then you see people who are so staunch into the word of God, they can't feel the rhema, the sense, the, the speaking of the spirit inside of them. And as a result, they find themselves dried and dead up, try, d- dead, trying to suck up the old word without having the new fresh word coming alive inside of them. And so I would say that today, what you and I need is the logos and the rhema working together. What you and I need is a revelation of what that scripture means, not just reading the Bible for more strategy and more structure and more rules and regulations, but reading the word of God with the rhema understanding of the spirit of what God's intent was with that. And as I take that principle and it becomes a part of me, it brings me alive, not causes me to live more dead religion. Are you with me? say yes. 
And so with that being said, it is critical for me as you go into the new year that you start off your new year with words from God. Not words from the pastor, not words from the spouse. Come on, somebody. But words from God. Jesus said, my word will never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. I'm going to look at a passage of scripture today. We're going to study it a little bit. It's found in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 3. We're going to look at the life of this little young man named Samuel as he's engaging the older, mature, established priest, Eli, and God's working in the process. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1 is where we'll start off. It says, And the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. Would you say that with me? The word of the Lord was The word of the Lord was, there were not many visions. And one night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Verse 4, then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here am I, or here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. So he went and he lay down. Now, over the next couple of verses, this happens two or three more times. Let me kind of set the scene for you. Samuel is this altar boy, if you will. For those of you who come out of a back, background of Catholic church, I'll give you a mental picture. Obviously, that's not how, how the Catholic church does it and what, what the Jewish people and how they interacted with God uh, back in these days were a bit different. But nonetheless, there was a temple. And Eli, the priest, he was kind of God's voice to the people. Uh, uh, it's a true theocracy in this day. Uh, God would speak to the prophet, he'd speak to the priest, he'd tell the people, and the people would live accordingly. And uh, didn't have a king at this time. And so Eli and his sons are taking care of the people, if you will, uh, as priests. Uh, they're doing all the sacrifices, they're doing all, these, uh, all the caring for their engagement with the living God and the services and things like that. Now Samuel is this little boy. And his age probably at this time is somewhere, if I had to guess, around 12. It's not real definitive. But what happened was Samuel's mama could not have babies. And one day she goes to the temple when no one's there, and it even alludes that it's in the night, and she's at the front of the altar crying out to God. And she's so passionate that when Eli the priest comes walking through, he thinks she's drunk out of her mind. So he rebukes her. How dare you come drunken into the house of God? And she goes, no, no, sir. No, sir, I am not drunk. I am desperate for God to heal me so that I can have children. Understand, again, in Jewish culture, a woman not able to have children, and she feels as though she's a second-rate human. And so she cries, and he says, well, because of your desperation, may the Lord grant you what you're asking of you. She became pregnant. She gave birth to Samuel. And her covenant that she made with God is, if you'll give me kids, this first one will belong to you. So once the child was finished being weaned, she brought this little boy, and she placed him in Eli's hands and says, he's now a ward of the temple. I give him to God. So this little boy is growing up like an altar boy, taking care of all the workings of the temple, all the caring and the needs that go on with taking care of the house of God, from lighting the candles to sweeping the porch to all cleaning the toilets, all the things that have to happen to take care of the temple of God. And in the middle of the night, this passage says to us that at this season, the word of the Lord was rare. You have to understand why the word of the Lord was rare. We'll get to that in just a moment. The word of the Lord was rare. He hadn't been speaking to people. He hadn't been speaking to Eli. He hadn't been speaking to, to the priest. He hadn't been talking to him. God's just shut his mouth. I'm like, whatever, I'm not talking to you. It says the word of the Lord was rare. And in the middle of the night, Samuel, dead asleep in his little bed in the temple. Here's his name. Samuel, Samuel, thinking that it's Eli, the priest, gets up and goes running in to this little, little old man and says, sir, you called me. I didn't call you. Go back to bed. What's wrong with you? Okay, well, I heard my name. He goes back. If you'll continue reading, we, we kind of stop there, but continue reading. He says, he calls him again, Samuel, Samuel. And he goes back, sir, you called me. Son, what's wrong? With, I didn't call you. And somewhere in this engagement, Eli has a remembrance what it used to be like when God would call his name. He says, son, it could be the Lord because I'm not calling you. If it happens again, you say, Lord, here am I. Your servant is listening. And let God give you a word. So the little boy goes back. And he lays down. And let's pick up in verse 10. It says, And the Lord came and he stood there, 
calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. If you'll keep reading, what he says is, paraphrased, Eli and his sons have grown wicked, and I'm removing them. And I'm taking you as a little boy, and you now will be my mouthpiece to the nation of Israel. The next morning, Eli comes to Samuel. Again, 12, 11, 10. What did God say? Scared to tell him. Oh, God said he's going to get rid of you. He's picked me. And Eli says to him, son, he probably can see the fear in his eyes. You tell me exactly what God says, because whatever it is, it's a word from God. He says that he's going to remove you, and I'm going to put in, be put in your place so that all of Israel can come back to God. See, what had transpired up until this point was, and unlike Catholic priests of this era, the priests in the scriptures married and had families. And it was kind of of the tribe. You were of the group of priests, and so your children would be priests just by way of birthright. They would be priests as well. They would be holy people just because they're in the family of holy people. And so as a result, Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And they were to take his place. In fact, since they were boys, they had been serving in the temple. But something had happened over time. Over time, Hophni and Phinehas had become wicked. Over time, Hophni and Phinehas began to do wicked things. For example, though they be married, they were having sexual relationships in the house of God into the night with prostitutes and other women. Also, when it came time for the people to give their offerings, and many times because of, again, agrarian culture, they would come and they would make their sacrifices of meat. They'd put a big pot and they would boil up the meat. And the priests were allowed for their families to come and dip a hook in. And whatever meat it grabbed on a little hook, they were able to keep for their families. They could go from family to family as they were making their sacrifices every day and they could get some. And they were supposed to wait till the meat had already cooked down. You know how when a roast cooks down and you go to grab it, it kind of falls apart so you don't get the whole roast. But you know when you first put the roast in the crock pot and you grab it, up you get the whole thing they wouldn't wait for it to cook down they would just get it and grab most of it and take it they were stealing from the people having sexual relationships outside of marriage wicked and adulterous as well as stealing from the people sound a little bit like preachers today sometimes god said i've had enough of it eli you won't even discipline your own kids so i'm not speaking to you and so it grew dark in a season of darkness god finally comes and he gives a word to a little boy. He says, I picked you. I'm removing Eli. I'm removing his sons. And everything that I'm doing is going to cause the ears of all Israel to tingle and say, whoo, God's back on our side again. God is doing something. The word of the Lord was rare because of three things. If you find that you don't have the word of the Lord in your life, you don't know what God's saying, you don't hear his voice, you, you read the Bible and it doesn't make any sense, it doesn't bring revelation and life to you. You don't have clarity of direction on where to go, who to marry, who not to marry, what to do, what not to do with your life, where to live, where not to live. You need a word from the Lord, friend. And let me tell you something, if it's rare to you, maybe, just maybe, we should learn from what these guys were doing that caused the word to be rare. They, the word of the Lord was rare for three reasons. Here's what held it back. Number one, they had a broken relationship with Jesus. Or God. They had a broken relationship. They broke the relationship. What sin does is it breaks my relationship. Sin, sin breaks my, it causes there to be this distance. You remember you were dating somebody and y'all got mad at each other and then there was this elephant in the room, you didn't know how to deal with it, it broke the relationship. Some of you even dated somebody, y'all had some little tiff and never even talked again. Didn't have official breakup or anything, just went your own way. That's what people do with God sometimes. They'll have a relationship with him, then something will happen, and they'll get broken, they'll get offended in their heart, and they'll just walk away from They had a broken relationship. Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, Eli as well, God stopped speaking to them because they broke relationship, and as a result, there was no communication, no engagement. Here's the second reason that the word was held back, and that is because they disrespect for what was sacred. You don't have sexual relationships outside of marriage in the temple of God. You don't disrespect the Lord your God by stealing from his people. It's sacred. Can I tell you something? You don't beat on your wife, bro. You don't, you don't, you don't cuss your kids out, sweet love. They're sacred before the Lord. You don't mistreat the word of God as dumb just because you don't like it. Listen, I read the word of God every day, and there are things in it that I don't like. 
but they're sacred, and I obey them. And I promise you, if your pastor ends up on the local news or in national news, and what do you believe about this, and do you know this is a hot topic right now, I'm going to say, the Word of God says this. That's what it says, and it's sacred. It doesn't matter if it's politically correct to everybody or not. It's sacred. The Word of the Lord was pulled back from them because they had disrespect for what was sacred. And the third, as I already mentioned, is because of how they abused the people. Can I tell you something? In our vision statement, is that we are going to relentlessly love Jesus, his church, and the hurting. Here at Church on the Hill, we don't sit around talking bad about everybody else's church. We're not going, we need every life-giving church we can get. We need every flavor. We need every, every thought process. Listen, if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, they're a godly church. They're doing their best to serve God. Who cares if they like their hands lifted or their hands in their pocket? Who cares if they want an old hymns or they want new rock star sound and music? It doesn't matter. Let God be God in each and every one of them. Let's not talk bad about each other. Let's don't abuse each other. Let's stand for one another. Let's don't gossip about each other in the church. They started doing all of They hurt the people, and as a result, God's like, oh, no, not, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. So the word of the Lord became rare because, number one, they had a broken relationship with him. Number two, because they disrespected what was sacred. Number three, because of the abuse, that they, the treatment they brought on to the people. You and I need a daily word from the Lord. Listen, you can't work and live in the environment that we live in without hearing God's voice and knowing what he wants you to do and knowing how to stand up rightly, knowing what, that having a foundation that will cause you to stand when everything else is going back and forth. More than ever in the body of Christ, I'm finding double-minded men unstable in all their ways. People who say they're a Christian, then they fly back into this, say they're committed to this relationship with their spouse, and then they go cheating over, double-minded. And I love in the scripture where he says, hey, look, choose you this day who you're going to serve. Make a decision, stick with it, be faithful. And the way that happens for me is when I get a word from God. I was sitting in the balcony, 17 years old, with my arm around my girlfriend, big mega church, being all carnal. Everybody's worshiping. I'm sitting on the back row of 6,000 seat sanctuary, sitting there with my arm around my girlfriend, teenager, think I'm cool. All of a sudden, I notice down here on the floor level, this girl comes walking in with her blonde hair, blue-eyed self, all the way to the front with her glow-in-the-dark tambourine. She goes up to the front row, and she starts worshiping. And as she does that, I hear a voice. It wasn't audible, but it was so, you know how your brain has those voices in your brain? Some of you have too many voices, by the way, but anyway. But uh, it was, I, I know it's the voice of the Lord. I would learned at that point how God speaks to me. And I heard this voice say, that's your wife. I'm like, this is a 15-year-old? I'm 17. So mature. That cannot be my wife. She's couple years younger than me. I'm a junior high school. Actually, I'm moving into my senior year. Put my arm away from that girl. I watched that girl for a couple years. Didn't date her. Didn't talk to her about anything like that. She came into our youth ministry. She became a youth leader. I became the youth pastor. And, uh, and I just watched her and watched her and watched her. She went to college. And one day, my leadership came to me and they said, hey, listen, we want to ask you something. And they said, I said, what? They said, are you are you ever going to get married? I'm like, I'm 21. <laughs> One day. And they're like, okay, well, you need to find out who that is now. And unbeknownst to me, they were trying to make me the senior youth minister over 500 kids. And I said, uh, okay. And my pastor, he started trying to set me up with different girls in, in the church. In fact, one, one day he called me over to his house. He said, hey, I need you to come meet with me. Dress a little nicer because it's an important meeting. I said, oh, okay. I showed up and there was another young lady there and his wife was there, and they set us down at the table, and, and they're talking and stuff. And then, uh, then they started put, bringing food out, and they set some food out, and I noticed it was just my plate and this other gal's plate. And um, then they lit some candles, and they said, we got to go, and they walked away in their house. This is a true story. True story. And she looked at me, and I said, did you know about this? She said, no. I said, I'm going to murder him. I'm going to murder him. We finished dinner, and I just went home. And I called him, what are you doing? Well, you need to get married. You won't tell me who you're interested in. I said, well, I had this gal in my heart that I've been watching for three years. He said, tell me who it is. I said, I'm not, because you're going to do something crazy. <laughs> like today, the Lord says unto thee, you know, I'm not doing, I'm not let you mess it up. I ended up asking Jamie Lee Anglin out. 
And uh, you now know her as your pastor's wife and my love for 25 years of marriage. I had that word, though. And there are those moments when she's mean to me that I have to remember that word that God said, that's the one. There's those times where I'm just like, I love you. Everything I have. But I'm standing on a word. I got something. I'm your pastor today because I got a word. God spoke a word to me and said, do this. We had an open vision, Jamie and I, of downtown Cedar Hill and all the people coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I would have rather planted a church originally in Arlington, but God kept saying, Cedar Hill, Cedar Hill, Cedar Hill. And we said, okay, okay, we'll do it. We're here today because of a word. I'm married to her because of a word. I'm doing what I'm doing instead of being a successful multi-billionaire businessman because of a word. I got a word. You need a word. You need to know why you're going to college. You need to know why you're married to the person you're married to. You need to know, as Pastor Jonathan said, as he was sitting there praying and saying, I'm just being obedient to my pastor, and then all of a sudden the Lord speaks to him and says, Mansfield needs another church, or I wouldn't ask you to bring it forward. You need a word that you can stand on, hold to, know that it's God. Each and every one of us need a word. With just a word, God gave Gideon just a word, and with 300 godly warriors, the ability to destroy 100,000 pagan bullies in one moment. With just a word, a casual Carnal, insecure disciple won a spot in the Guinness Book World Records as having walked on water next to Jesus Christ. With just a word, a lying, thieving criminal breathed his last breath next to the Messiah and was then ushered into paradise. With just a word, a sweet, obedient man built on a boat for a hundred years and then saved the human race. With just a word, it turned Saul, the murderous persecutor of the gospel, into the Apostle Paul, the hero of the New Testament. Just a word turned a little, single, scared, insecure teenage girl into the mother of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Just a word will take a deadbeat dad and turn him into the dad of the year. With just a word, we can take a lost, confused soul and transform them into a life-giving believer. Just a word will give a, a direction to the disoriented traveler. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. With just a word, you'll be provided purpose as you're drifting from side to side. Just a word will give you confidence in the indecisive moments of your life. Just the word will bring stability to your family instead of you stumbling and breaking it all apart. God looked down at humanity. And somewhere between Malachi and Matthew, there were 400 years of darkness. God did not speak to humanity for 400 years. The end of the book of Malachi, as the prophet Malachi prophesied the last bit of the book of Malachi, he summarized it like this, God's holding back, but there's a day coming where he will turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers and the hearts of the fathers to the children. For 400 years, the people of Israel are like, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? 400 years, God withdrew. He said, you didn't listen up until this point. I gave you the Torah. You didn't listen to that. I gave you the prophets. You didn't listen to that. So I'm going to speak to you 400 years from now. But when I speak to you this time, it's going to be everything I want to say in one word. I'm not going to put it on bunches of tablets. I'm not going to have it prophesied over and over and over again. I'm going to speak to you one word. And we find that one word in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness does not understand it. God looked down. He said, you know what? I'm going to solve this once and for all. I'm going to give you one word that will sustain you day in and day out. I'm going to give you one word that will be your crutch when you're feeling broken. I'm going to give you one word that will be your stabilizing factor whenever you're feeling like you're stumbling. I'm going to give the nations of the word one word so they can find me. And his name is Jesus. That's the word. Our key scripture, Jesus speaking, says heaven and earth will pass away. But my words, they will never pass away. What I say to you, what I do in front of you, I am Father's expression to the earth. I am the example. I am the light of men. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the light. 
Friend, can I explain something to you? He loves humanity so much that he got tired of repeating himself. He got tired of having people representing him. And he just said, son, will you go down for me? You're going to be my one, one, one statement. I don't have to say nothing else but you. And son said, I'll do it, Father. Wow, and he came on the earth. And he said, I don't do anything I don't hear the Father saying. I don't do, if he don't say it, I don't do it. If you hate me, you hate the Father. For I am the way, the truth. and the, In the beginning, I was there. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the word. I was everything he wanted to say to humanity. And he sent me. If you haven't had a word from the Lord in a long time, your starting place is Jesus. See, you don't need a pastor to stand between you and God and tell you what he wants. You have an advocate. Not only that, but Jesus filled you with his Holy Spirit. That's why it frustrates me with certain denominational people who will not yield to the Holy Spirit. He is the great gift that the Father sent to live and abide in us. He nudges me all the time. He speaks to me all the time. And if I think he's speaking to me, but it goes against what he's already written in his word, then I know it's not him. It's my flesh. I had too much pizza last night. I had a person one time tell me. They showed up at my office. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I said, what happened? She said, oh, pastor, I was before the Lord. You know, my husband's wicked. He's a deadbeat, good for nothing, blanking, blanking, blanker. I said, really? She said, yes, but I prayed. I said, God, if I see five blackbirds on the way to the church, I know that you have given me a release to get this deadbeat man out of my life. She said, Pastor, I didn't see five. I saw 25. Hallelujah. And she's, I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Bring me to that passage again. Let me find that. Because what I found was as long as he'll stay with you, even though he's an unbelieving person, that you are to stay with him and see his heart turned around and out of the goodness of what God's doing in your life. Now, tell me, I can't find the five blackbirds, sweet love. Can you show me that? I'm looking real hard. She came up with a quintental anointing. Because she asked for five, but she saw 25, a quintental anointing. It's like, that's the craziest thing I ever heard. And that's why those of us that are spirit-filled get a bad rap, because crazy people. Crazy people who blame it on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's like, I ain't a part of that. I did not do that. That is not me. That is not me. And what I love about what Jesus said is I don't come, away to, I don't come to do away with the law. And the prophets, I'm not coming to do away with the Old Testament word. I've come to fulfill the word. I've come to fulfill it. I am the embodiment of everything they prophesied, everything that Moses wrote from the Father. I embody it. I live it. I am it. And she said, as Paul said to the young preacher, follow me as I follow Christ. Jesus said, take up my yoke. It's easy. My burden is light. Take up your cross. Follow me. You're my disciple if you follow me. If you obey my teachings. You're not my disciple because you wear a name tag. You're my disciple if you actually obey the teachings. You and I need a word from the Lord, a word to sustain us, a word to hold us strong, a word to give us direction. We need it on a daily basis. I need God to speak. A couple years ago, after God spoke to us about Cedar Hill and my wife went and got involved. She started serving in the city. She started serving and, and getting on boards and helping them, you know, make decisions and stuff. And we were praying the Lord spoke to her and told her to run for city council. And she said, what do you think about that? And I said, man, I mean, I like having dinner. But okay, let's do it. That's the, that's the best way we can serve this city and, and make it great. Let's do it. So she ran and she won. We were like, you won? That's crazy. And, um, and I've never seen anybody love this city the way Jamie loves it. It was just crazy. It was because it was she had a word from the Lord. And she's a year or so into that. And we're sitting on the front row uh, at Christ for the Nations, and this person uh, was ministering, well-respected, prophetic voice to the nations. This person speaking, 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 and stops and turns and points to Jamie and says, God just told me to tell you you're going to be the next mayor of Cedar Hill. And we're like, uh, okay. And, um, and so oh, we were just like, well, we'll do what you should do with prophecy. You set it right here and say, Lord, if you're in that, then you'll keep confirming, and if you're not, no big deal. We'll just keep doing what we know to do from the word. The logos and the rhema should work together, not fight against each other. And so, and so we just stayed faithful and stayed faithful and stayed faithful. And recently, we had this opportunity to buy a house. Because at this point, some of you know this, um, 
we began to have a side business so we could help, you know, finance our family. Um, so we wouldn't put a burden on the church, asking the church to give us a bigger salary, something like that. So we started a business, and we breed kitty cats. And um, they make a lot of babies. So at this point, our house is a lot of cats. I'm now living in my business. Now imagine, those of you that are in a machine shop, you wouldn't go live there. Well, I'm living in the bit, so that's a lot of cat poop and pee all over the place and a lot of little porta potty boxes that got to get cleaned out. And I just looked up last year and I said, I'm done. We got to get another house. We, they can have this one. I got to get another one. I can't live here. I don't even want to remodel this one. I, don't, I just want to go. And so we started asking, uh, you know, asking around anybody know of a good house. And of course, everything, you know, is just selling like. For above asking price, and we just don't have that kind of money. And so one of the, one of the leaders in the church uh, found a situation that was kind of a, a house that needed some work, and nobody really wanted to work on it. And so it was it was it was under a hundred dollars a square foot, and we're like, oh, that could be it. It was in the neighborhood that I wanted to be in, uh, which is the neighborhood that we had lived in before, Lake Ridge. If you know, if you're familiar, just a beautiful neighborhood, and and I had about an acre land with it. I was just great, and um, I can have people over finally. And um, and so we were in the negotiations, and as we got down. Into it, it was mismarked. It was not in Cedar Hill city limits. It was in Grand Prairie. It, the line for Cedar Hill in the middle of this neighborhood was a hundred yards away from where this house was at. It was the deal of a lifetime. It was everything I'd been praying for. And I had to back out of it and say, I can't do that because we have a word from the Lord that she's supposed to be a councilwoman and she can't be a councilwoman if we're not in the city. And so it directed us on what house to buy, what not to buy, because we had a word from God. We had a word from the Lord that we're supposed to serve Cedar Hill. She can't do that as a councilwoman if she lives in another city. It costs us not to go that way. Can I tell you something? When you get a word from the Lord, sweetheart, you won't date every deadbeat who comes along. When you recognize that God's told you you're a daughter of the Most High God, that he's going to send you a man of God, you won't mess around with every little idiot that comes by. doesn't matter if it's a second marriage, third marriage. doesn't matter. When you get a revelation from God of who you are, what he has for you, and what he's trying to give you, you will not give in to the other things. I wanted this house so bad. But I had a word from the Lord. I'm supposed to serve this city. I'm like, ah. So we're still living in our cat house. <clears throat> you younger guys have no idea what that implication is. <clears throat> but I want you to know something. I have a word. And it sustains me in the times that I don't want to be there. It keeps me strong when I want to quit. You say, well, Pastor, how do I get a word? I, I got some things I need God to speak to me on. Let me give you a little bit of advice. Let me give you a couple points that I've learned over the years on how to get a word from God. Number one, you need to prepare your heart. Prepare your heart for a word, a word from God. You know how some people are. Well, if you won't speak to me, you're going to have to hit me upside the head because I don't even know if you're up there. That's not preparing your heart. I learned years ago, if I ask, I shall receive. But that asking has a lot to do with attitude. Think about when your children come to you. Or if they don't come to you and they just expect you to do it. How about you? Have you had a, a, an employee who wants a raise but they've never asked? But they complain to you about every, to everybody else that works with you. Prepare your heart. Go before the Lord. Say, Lord, I need help. I don't know what to do. about. I need a word from you. I need you to sustain me in this, God. I want to quit on this marriage. I want to quit on this thing. I, want, I don't want to do this anymore. I need a word to sustain me. Because once you get that word, it will change your attitude. Once you get that, get that word, it'll, it'll, it'll cause you to, to, to have a, a better understanding of what God's trying to get you to. It'll secure you. Here's the second thing I've learned to do, and that is read the word every day. Read the Bible every day. So I just, you know, I just don't really like it. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Friend, read the word of God and ask him to reveal himself to you through his word. God, just talk to me. Listen, we are so lazy now. The Bible can read itself to you now. You don't have to even be able to read. Download that Bible app, set it on play, and listen to it as you drive to work. Instead of listening to everybody else talk about how bad the United States is and how everybody's going to kill each other and how bad this and that one that is and what dumb thing the president tweeted today. Instead of all that, get the word. Let it mull over your brain. I, so, uh, listen. People come to me all the time and say, Pastor, what did you do today? Sunday after service. I'm like, what are you talking about? So do you have hidden microphones and recording systems in my house? Every, every Sunday. Like, no. What you preached on 
is the very thing that I have been asking God for two years. And I said last night, God, if you don't show me something, Bubba, and then here you are preaching it. You're a man of God. And I'll back up and just say, no, I was just reading the word, and God said, preach this to my people. And I said, okay. It really is that simple. Read the word of God. Here's the third thing, and that is this. I'll teach you a little bit on this, and that is don't despise prophecy. Don't despise prophecy. The, the nudge of the Holy Spirit in your heart, prophetic word given to you by somebody else. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. I'm going to teach you a little bit for a couple of seconds and release you. It says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. So Paul's dealing with the Thessalonians in this moment. And you've got to understand, if you're a Jewish Christian in the New Testament church, if you're a Jewish Christian in 50, 50, 60, 70 A.D., what has happened is you've grown up under the training of your Jewish roots, of your Jewish peoplehood. You are a Jude- you're involved in what's called Judaism. You have studied the Torah as a child. You've memorized portions of the Torah, if not all of it. You have studied the books of the prophets. And there are two major groups at this time, if you read through the scripture, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Remember that being told to you in Sunday school? Pharisees and Sadducees. So I don't know. What the- they were two religious groups that kind of dominated, if you will, at the time, the teaching of the people and what, the- what their doctrine should be. And the Sadducees had a very very strong belief system that the prophetic books of the Old Testament, you know, the Malachi, the Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, all those books, that they weren't relative. They weren't God's real word. They were prophecies, but they weren't God's real word. The only thing that was God's real word was the Torah, the, the first five books of the Bible. They were the, the Pentateuch, as it's it called in, in, from the Greek translation of it, or, or the Greeks called it. And so it's, it's, it's you know, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And those, those primarily were written by Moses. So that word is truth. The law is truth. That which was handed down, God, law of Moses, that, that is truth. The rest of it is, and eh, maybe it's good stuff, but it's not, it's not God's word. Whereas the Pharisees, on the other hand, said, no, it's all God's word. God spoke through his prophets, and those things have been written down. Those prophecies are word. And so there was this back and forth. Then what happens is Jesus dies on a cross, resurrects, the Holy Spirit's poured out, and now even Gentiles are getting saved. So Gentiles, they don't believe nothing. They'd be like, yeah, it's all good. It's crazy. And so these Gentiles are getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they're prophesying crazy stuff. And the Jewish Christians are like, no. That's bad, and that's not right, and that's not good. And not only that, prophecy is not even God's word. And so what, what Paul does is he tries to help them bring the logos and the rhema together by saying this, don't despise prophecies or don't treat them with contempt. Test it. How do I test it? Because if he just prophesied that, if she just said that to you, how's that, how does that work in the word that's already been established? Does the word of God say that? Does the Holy Scripture say that? Does that go against the Holy Spirit? Test it to see if it's right. Hold on to the good, insinuating, spit out the bad. Hold on to the good and avoid every kind of evil. So he's trying to help us understand that God will speak to us through a now word, but it should also coincide with the established word. And this is where the breakdown happens. And I don't blame my denominational friends who look at spirit-filled people and say, You're crazy. The five blackbird thing, you're out of your mind. Where is that in scripture? And they're accurate in that. But the problem with only saying God only speaks through that which is already established and written, the problem with that is it becomes dead religion. We need light on that word. We need revelation on that word. We need rhema on that word. We need prophetic understanding of that word. We need a word from God. You just need a word. You just got to get a word. When you get a word, it won't matter. It won't matter about all the confusion happening around you. Have a word. It won't matter. It won't matter. Listen, no matter how mean Miss Jamie gets to me, I have a word. She's never been mean to me. I have a word. You and I need a word from the Lord. It will sustain us. God looked down and he said, I got everything I want to say to you in one word. His name is Jesus. Follow Christ. And I promise you, everything you're confused about, everything you don't know what to do about, just follow Christ. Our key scripture, one more time. Let's look at it. Would you put it back on the screen for him? He says, in heaven and earth may pass away. Is that what it says? Heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will never pass away. In other words, all the stuff you're worried about right now is going to pass away. Yep. 200 years from now, your house won't be there. I, you won't be there. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will remain true. All you got to do is get a word. 
All you got to do is get a word. Let not the word be rare in your life. The most confused Christians that I ever get around are people who don't have a word from God. They don't read his word, so they don't know what he's already established and said. They don't have fresh revelation on that word and on their scenario that they're in right now. They don't have anything rhema happening in them. And so they come to church asking me to give them the rhema. I am not your savior. I am to present the word. It's supposed to be corporate. It's supposed to be an encouragement. But when we come together, there should be this celebration of all that God's been showing us all throughout the week and doing in our life. How scary is it? Especially for those who only come once or twice a month. And they just kind of get a little sermon. And they're trying to live their whole life by a couple things. that I said, I'm not your advocate. I'm not your go-between. You have one, and his name is Jesus. You don't need another high priest. I'm the pastor. My job is to get you the ball and let you score. My job is to equip you to do ministry. My job is not to be his voice to you. He wants nothing between you and him. Jesus is the word. Would you stand with me all across the room? Hope that's helped you a little bit today. I feel the power of God surging through my veins right now. And I'm believing that every one of you will become men and women who know his word. I'm not talking about reading the Bible. I'm talking about know God, know his voice. He's guiding you, directing you. With one word, Gideon took 300 men and defeated 100,000. Didn't matter if the obstacles were too big. Didn't matter. God gave him a word. With one word, Noah kept building an ark for 100 years. He said, oh, pastor's been so hard staying faithful to God, what I'm going through. Have you done 100 years yet? Then shut up. One word. This teenage girl goes, okay, I'll give birth to the Messiah. According to what you say. One word, I'll do, okay. We're coming up on Christmas. You need to understand Jesus was the answer to 400 years of nothing being said between God's people and himself. 400 years went by. God wasn't talking. He wasn't speaking through prophets, through nobody. At the end of 400 years, he said, okay, my time is now. I'm going to send to you my precious word. More than a baby in a manger. More than wise men bending down two years later. You have to have an understanding. Jesus came so that you can have a word from God. He is your word. He is your understanding of what life is all about. He is your guide and your direction. Everything he preached, everything he taught, everything that he was was all of God's expression in one place, son. So when you're putting that Christmas tree up and you're setting up that little manger scene, you need to be saying, thank you for your word from me. You spoke to me and continue to speak to me every moment of the day. I want you to close your eyes with me. Create a safe place. My prayer for you today is that your heart would be softened to where you become desperate to know God. That you would hear his voice. That you want to have a word from the Lord. Instead of taking carnal counsel on how to fix a marriage, that you get a word from God. Instead of fighting and spitting and struggling with your manager at your, at your job, that you get a word from God. Then you'll know whether to stay or leave. But have a word from God, whatever you do. Instead of, instead of trying to figure out how to become rich, you'd back up and get a word from God on what you're to be doing every day with your life. Get a word. And then when you doubt and you have fear, you can go back to that word. So you said, it's confirmed in the Holy Scriptures. You said, and you hold him at his word. And you hold yourself at what he said. 100 years, sawing on a boat. You said build a boat. You're going to save humanity through me. I'll do it. Every day. Holding to a word. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name for every man and woman in this congregation, those watching the podcast, those that are engaging with us online, 
I pray right now, God, that they would begin to open their heart, humble themselves and cry out for a word from their God, from their God. Lord, I pray that they would stop hearing all these other sermons and all these other things and trying to incorporate, and they just go follow Jesus. Everything you wanted to say, everything you wanted to do, you put it in him. Jesus, my Savior, my Lord. I pray right now, men and women would have a revelation that you will guide them, you will direct them. Their life can have meaning and substance. They can have power to overcome, go through messy life because you, the Word, are guiding them. Everything else is going to pass away, but your Word's going to stand, Jesus. We hold to that truth. We hold to that truth. Now, God, I pray you begin speaking to men and women in our church. I pray, Lord God, tonight, as they lay their head on their pillow, that they'd have this a word come to them from you. I pray as they get up a little earlier in the morning, take five, ten minutes, start reading through the scriptures, that they would start having words from you. That that something would scream out off the page at them. That something would be said in the, as the reading is being read to them of the Holy Spirit. And say, oh, that's God for me right now. God, I pray right now in Jesus' name that your words would not be rare in our midst. God, I pray that when we get together on Sundays, we come to celebrate, we'd all be tested. You're not going to believe it. God spoke to me about this. God showed me this. He showed me this about myself. Things I've been, I've been paying counselors for for five years. And in one word, it all shifted. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name that the rhema word of God mixed with the logos word of God would come true in every member of Church on the Hill. And that, Lord God, that we would not look around for someone else to tell us what to do. But we'd have a direct line to you, our living God ever-present ever help in time of trouble. Now, if you do me a favor, keep your head bowed and your eye closed. The Holy Scripture says this is appointed once for man to die and then the judgment. That's the truth. Everything else can pass away, but that's going to stand. We all have an appointment with death. We'll then stand before the Lord and give an account of our life. And I've been in a position early on where I was afraid of that appointment I lived in fear that were I to die and stand before God that he probably would cast me into darkness based on my life decisions based on my lack of relationship with him scared me scared to death and one day once and for all I stood before the Lord in my heart and I said you're my God and I will serve you with all of that I have I confessed with my mouth and I believed in my heart like the scripture says and it all shifted I recognized in that moment I was a real Christian. Good, bad, or ugly. Learning, growing, failing, sinning. Still a believer, still a follower of Jesus Christ. And today, if you stand here and you don't feel as though you're a follower of Jesus, but something in your heart is tugging. See, that's God knocking at the door. The old preacher said one time, it's only got one doorknob on that door and it's on your side you got to open up and let him in. And today, if you're away from God, I'd like to introduce you. I'd like to bring you back into relationship through prayer, through a confession of your mouth and a believing of your heart. Today, if you say, Pastor, I'm not sure if I died today, I'd go to heaven. Don't, don't leave this place like that. Let me pray with you. I don't want to call you forward. I don't want to point you out and embarrass you. This is a deep, sincere decision that needs to happen. It's a private decision. I know we're in public. That's why I keep everybody's head bowed and everybody's eyes closed so you and God can have an engagement moment. And today, if you come to the conclusion you're not a Christian, you come to the conclusion that you're scared of that moment where death happens and you're standing before him and you're not sure that your eternity is secure, friend, why not pray? Why not change? Why not ask Jesus into your life today? The living Savior is here to come into your life with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you say, Pastor, that's me. I'm ready. I'm ready to change. I'm ready to ask Jesus into my life. I don't want to live like this anymore. I'm, I, it's time. It's time. I don't want to play games anymore. I want God to come in my life. I'm ready to ask him into my life. I'm ready to follow him. No one's looking around. If that's you, would you just shoot your hand up in the air real quick? Say, Pastor, pray for me. I'll see it, and I'll get you to put it back down. Yeah, thank you, sir. Anybody else? Thank you, sweet love. Yes, sir. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you, sir. Real people. Real God. Real solutions. Anybody else? Pastor, that's me. I don't want to miss out. It's time. I'm ready to change. I want God in my life. Thank you, sweetheart. You can put it back down. Give you a couple more seconds. One, two. Anybody else? Amen. Now, I'm going to lead you. Thank you, sir. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, a prayer of repentance. There's nothing magical about the words with supernatural God's been tugging at your heart and you're responding. That's huge. And today, as I lead you in that prayer of repentance, I want you to mean it with all of your heart. In fact, I want, to, I want the brothers and sisters in Christ that are standing around 
to pray out loud as well. As we repeat this prayer, in all sincerity, what's going to happen is God is going to erase the sins, give you new life, and call you a son or daughter all in one moment. It's unbelievable what he does. So today, those that lifted your hand, let's pray. Say it like this. Say, Jesus. Come on, everybody. Jesus, today, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you, Jesus. And today I repent. And I ask you now to forgive me. I receive. Say it again. I receive your forgiveness. Write my name in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for men and women who lifted their hands, said that prayer from the depths of their heart. God, I pray right now they would feel and sense your forgiveness. They'd feel it. They don't have to perform. They don't have to give money to the church. They're yours because they asked. God, I pray they have a revelation that though they are saved, though they are forgiven, though that they are sons and daughters, there'll be moments where the enemy tells them, no, you're not. You didn't mean it. You're not good enough. See, you cursed that person again. See, you did that old thing again. God, I pray that they would have a moment of remembrance to this prayer and that they would turn to the enemy and say, no, I may not be perfect, but I am his. God, I pray right now they would feel and sense they are yours. Let peace overtake them. Let old doctrine just fall off. That old dead religion that they have to perform for your love. Let it just just fall away, melt away. And let them know that they are forgiven and that they are yours. Now, Jesus, I pray, as I close out in this moment, I ask, Lord, I pray this week, supernatural words would break through. And Lord, that each and every one of us in this church would be able to say, God spoke to me. I see something now. I was reading his word and I got a word from the Lord. Lord, I pray that Rhema and Logos would happen in a moment. And that, Lord God, we of Church on the Hill would begin to have directions and clarities and engagement with you that we've never had before and a whole new level of intimacy and a whole new level of understanding. And, Daddy, I thank you we'll never be the same. Never be the same. In Jesus' name.